Welcome to the Halftime Huddle, a podcast for the gutsy women calling Aussie sport their own. I'm Sarah. And I'm Taylor. And today we have Ellie Pashleon. She's a 10,000 metre and marathon runner who represents Australia all over the world. Last year in November, she ran the New York Marathon and finished eighth fastest female with a time of two hours and 27 minutes. She also qualified for the Tokyo Olympics this year for both the 10 kilometres and marathon. Welcome, Ellie. Well, we're chatting to you today about your running career. Tell us how that all started. Uh, yeah, it's been a very slow burn, to be honest. So, I, I mean, I did athletics as a kid. I did little aths and a little bit of cross country through school. Uh, but I was playing quite a few other sports at the time. And then it really wasn't until sort of the end of uni, I started getting a bit more into long distance running, just with local fun runs and things like that. And then probably I decided to do a marathon in 2016. And that was where I really started taking things a bit more seriously. And one of my friends, Julian, who's my coach now, he started coaching me then. And yeah, I I followed the program and started running a lot more than I had been previously. And I've been, I guess, yeah, taking it very seriously since then. So probably the last four or five years. In a previous interview that you've done, you mentioned that you really decided to have a crack at running after you came home from a few overseas trips and you felt unfit. Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Talk us through that headspace. Is that obviously you'd already sort of had the thought about taking running seriously before that. Was that the main driver or was there something else? Yeah, I think so. I think growing up, I always... I always felt that I really wanted to have a proper go at it one day, but I was so distracted by everything else that was happening around me, um, uni and social things and netball and other sports as well. So I, I think I deep down knew that one day I always would have a proper go at it, but I was just, it took me a long time to get there. So we went overseas at one stage for about 12 months and I was horrendously unfit when I got home and I decided that I never wanted to feel that unfit again and then that was that was I think when I sort of decided I was going to do a marathon I was also starting to get a little bit older and I thought well I've told myself for all these years that one day I'm going to have a proper crack at running and the clock's ticking so yeah I decided that 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 later that year I was going to do Melbourne Marathon and that gave me plenty of time to sort of get back into some general training first and then and then some proper proper training in the three or four months leading into it. That was 2016. That's great. Well, I know the feeling when you go on an overseas holiday and when you come back, you're still so unfit because obviously <laughs> you've tried like all the different kinds of foods and like you can't really keep up like a running routine. How do you take local fun runs to the next level? Like how did you decide that you wanted to take it to that professional level? Yeah, I think that that sort of evolved over time as well. So I I always sort of dabbled in local fun runs, I guess, as while I was at uni and in my early 20s. And then I did a few half marathons, not very well. And I really found them quite hard, probably having not trained properly for them. But I think, yeah, I, the, more, the more races I did, the more opportunities that opened up to me and I was able to s- sort of start getting into some different races that I wouldn't have been able to get into previously. And it, it sort of happens very gradually from there. So, yeah, it, it, there's, lots of, there's lots of opportunities in Australia with, like we have um, here in Victoria, there's Athletics Victoria, which run a cross-country season and a track season. And a lot of their races are actually really good 
good standard as well. So that was a good stepping stone, I guess, to progressing to the the road races and marathons overseas and things like that, which I have started doing a lot more of in the last few years. Yeah, so we saw that and you've raced all over the world. I saw Spain and South Africa. What's been your most memorable race and why? Yeah, I'm not sure. Probably there were two that I did last year in the second half of the year, which were were really memorable for different reasons. I did, um, I ran the world champs in Doha in Qatar and I did the 10K there actually on the track. I opted not to do the marathon because it was going to be so hot. And that, that was a really cool experience. That was my first major championship event and I'm not really particularly comfortable on the track, I would say. It's racing against a lot of the girls that run the 5K, 10K. They're very fast and it's a bit more tactical and I'm not used to that style of racing. So that was, that was a really fun experience. And I, I went overseas to Switzerland for a month or so before and trained with a group of girls from around the world doing the same race. Yeah. So that was really cool. And then six weeks after that, I ran maybe five weeks after I ran the New York marathon. Uh, and that was just, yeah, like nothing else I'd ever done. I think they said there were 2 million people out on the course watching and <laughs> It's just huge. The whole event is huge. And I mean, the American spectators are, are amazing with how they cheer and it's just loud. <laughs> so, so loud. <laughs> um, so that, that was really fun as well. That sort of, yeah, finished off the year for me. So Yeah, well, well we did see you uh, finished eight fastest female with a time of two hours and 27 minutes in that New York marathon. That is an incredible result. Talking about just like you traveling around to different races around the world, how do you become comfortable on all the different tracks? Do you have to prepare and uh, go over early to train on them? Uh, yeah, so usually with marathons, it's, can, the courses are quite variable. So there are some really flat, fast courses and then there are some hillier ones. So your training is quite dependent on the race that you're focusing on so for New York it's it's actually a relatively hilly course so we did a lot of training on rolling hills and hilly tempo sessions which is where you're running hard for a period of time over hills and hill reps things like that so we usually won't go over too long before I think I went over a week before just for the time difference is pretty bad with the US so you have to go over and acclimate to that and we ran little sections of the course while we were there in that week leading in but yeah, it's, I mean, I don't mind going in with things being a little bit unknown. There are course maps and course profiles, so you get a bit of an idea of how challenging it's going to be. But yeah, I think if you've done the correct style of training, then it can translate pretty well on the day. I bet. But even um, how you said before, you didn't do the, the marathon in, was it Doha that you didn't do the marathon? Yeah. Yeah. Like it must just be so difficult to continuously train throughout the year. Cause it's not like there's a running season really is there. You sort of got to train all year and then be ready for every race around the world. Yeah, it is. It can be a fairly long year. And because in Australia, our track season is different to the rest of the world. So it, it actually messes up our year a little bit because if you want to run a um, qualifying time for the Olympics or anything, say, then our national events are in Australian summer, whereas overseas, all the races are in the middle of the year. So you really need to be peaking in the middle of the year to get the fast track races where you can get the times, but then you need to still be fit enough to be earning those um, positions, I guess, in the Australian races to put you in 
good stead. So it, it is quite a long year and marathon wise, you can probably really only do two a year without big risk of <laughs> getting injured and sick because it is quite challenging to recover from a marathon. So yeah, but it's, I mean, it's doable. You just have to sort of have a bit of a schedule in place and pick and choose when's a good time to race and which races you have to forego just for the sake of yeah, staying healthy. Yeah, well, because I imagine you have to qualify for the races. You have to be at your peak fitness but then (laughs) you have to keep that up until the actual race and then that may not be during the Australian season so then you have to come back and it's not you're not competing when you come back home yeah exactly yeah so they'll you'll often have a a break I usually have my biggest breaks after I've done a marathon and then throughout the year I guess there are little peaks and troughs where you might do a race and then have a couple of easy weeks before you have to rebuild towards another race. But the shorter ones are much easier to recover from. So yeah, but it, it, it is, you're right. You can't really be in peak shape all year. So you almost have to expect that there are going to be some times and some races that you do where you're not in your peak condition, but that's all part of it. it happens to everybody. Yeah. Well, talking about the injuries, you were also a physiotherapist. How do you actually prevent yourself from getting injuries by running such long distances and obviously by competing and pushing yourself to that next level. Yeah. I mean, I think being a physio, it's been pretty helpful um, for me to just pick up on things early. So I can usually tell when something's getting a little bit sore or if I'm overloading an area of my body and make a few subtle changes, I guess, to, to stop that, whether it's changing my shoes or changing the terrain I'm running on or modifying my training program a little bit. Um, So I've actually been pretty lucky. (laughs) Actually, ironically, I'm injured at the moment, but this is the first time that I've ever had any, any time off with an injury. So yeah, it's been, I think it's been pretty helpful being a physio and I've got lots of um, my friends who are physios and podiatrists and that sort of thing. So uh, it, it definitely helps. At the Nagoya Women's Marathon, you ran personal best, which doubled as an Olympic qualifying time, which obviously, unfortunately, doesn't mean much this year, but I assume meant a lot and still does mean a lot. (laughs) Talk us through that race. Yeah, so that was um, in March last year, which was fairly early in the qualifying period, actually. Um, Japan put on amazing road races so they they make their courses really flat really fast they have pacemakers Uh, a lot of their races are over their winter so it's nice and cold and which is a good uh, condition for the marathon and so that that race was pretty yeah it was a big surprise to me because I went in I wanted to try and break 230 for the first time and I think the Olympic qualifier had just been released and it was 229.30 so that was sort of a maybe goal. And then I ended up running 226. Yeah, so that was a big, big PB for me. And yeah, I was very, very surprised, actually. That was probably the first time that I actually considered myself a, a chance to be going to the Olympics. So that was a, a big, big moment in my running career. So you hadn't even thought about it before that? Not really. I was still, I still felt like I was a fair way off where I needed to be. And the depth in... Australian women's distance running has actually really gone up in the last few years. It's the bar's been set a little bit higher and you, you have to run a lot faster to make times these days. And there's, there's quite a few girls that are capable of running that Olympic qualifying time. So I still probably didn't really consider myself to be in that um, group at that time. So that was, yeah, that was 
when I started to believe, I guess, that it could be possible. Yeah, well, does your qualifying time still qualify you for next year's Olympics due to the postponement of the Games? Yeah, it does. So they they hadn't actually selected the team yet for athletics. Um, That was only a month or so off being selected, which is a bit of a shame. But all the times that have been run in the previous qualifying period still count. And then they're going to open up the qualifying period again from December until April, I think next year. So there'll be some more time to, to try and run um, a little bit faster if possible then, but yeah, it also gives more people the chance to run the time. Because you said it's opening up maybe from December to April uh, for next year. Does that mean there'll be more runs organized? Because I know how live sport and like sport in general um, has been put on hold and is only recently starting up. Have they told you that uh, they're bringing back all these marathons? Yeah, it's still it's still very unknown and there's a lot of waiting to see, I think, what happens over the next six months. So I'm actually scheduled. I was uh, supposed to be doing London Marathon in April and that was postponed until October. And we're still being told at the moment that that's going to happen in a modified format. Uh, but it will depend on whether or not we're allowed to travel uh, to race or not, whether we can get an exemption for that. So it's really unknown. We don't know when races are coming back in Australia. There's talk of some junior uh, cross country starting back up soon. But the problem with the the big marathons, they have um, participation of like 40 or 50,000 people. So they're going to be at that back end of things coming back once, you know, crowds are allowed at, at sport and things like that, I think they'll they'll start allowing those events to happen again. But it's just waiting, waiting game. So we're not we hope that next year there will be plenty of events on offer. But yeah, we really we don't know. So it's a bit a bit yeah. of a weird time. Sort of everyone in the sa- everyone in the sporting world in the same boat. And um, yeah, exactly. In a lot of ways, except I suppose for you guys, although you're in the elite category you ask it is still an event for a marathon in particular it is still an event for thousands of people so it's like yeah it's pretty crazy it's kind of similar to having like a million people at a protest you're sort of all bunched together especially at the start line yeah and it's tricky for them to run like an elite only race which is what there there is talk of them starting to do but we probably don't have the same like with the AFL, they can they can do that because they've got, you know, the TV rights paying huge amounts of money. And whereas there's probably in running, really, the money comes from the mass participation events. <laughs> so it's whether or not it's worth their while a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. The entry fees and stuff, you mean? Yeah. 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 And it's, I suppose, like, it's difficult for everyone involved and hopefully they sort of just have to play it by ear. But yeah. Running long distance is so much, I imagine, is so much a mental game as it is a physical game because you're doing it for so long and you have to push your body for so long. How do you get yourself in the right headspace to endure the racing, but also the training that you have to do, I imagine, every day? What do you tell yourself? It's funny because it, it is hard and it's mentally challenging, but I think the more that you do it, the more your body gets used to that side of it as well and it becomes much less of a uh less of a grind in some ways I like I think now I'm because I do in training I do a lot of long intervals and long tempo runs and things like that that sort of stimulates how you feel in those long races and I think the biggest thing for me is I have to 
stay concentrating <laughs> on what I'm doing. And because sometimes, particularly in a marathon, you can sort of zone out a little bit. You have to be a bit careful with that because pacing is so important. So, um, yeah, it's, it is definitely a mental game. But to be honest, like the marathon doesn't really get that painful. If you run it properly, it doesn't really get that painful till the last sort of 10 or 12 Ks. So that's, that's when you really have to be um, switched on and yeah, I guess pushing through that pain barrier a little bit, but if you go out too hard, it gets painful a lot earlier and that's the really uh, mentally challenging part of our sport, I think. Yeah. Well, it definitely would be mentally challenging. Like I can't even run without having music in saying that you also coach other athletes yourself. What learnings from your own experiences do you pass on to them? So we have, we have quite a group of athletes that we coach and I think it is helpful to have been through the same thing before, particularly when you're coaching people from distances from five Ks all the way up to the marathon. Um, I just, yeah, I guess I try to, to go through with them things that I've experienced and things that I've done where it's gone bad and things that I've done that's worked out well. And every athlete's really different. So they have different strengths and weaknesses. And the big, the big thing is a lot of runners are fairly, type A personality. So they like to have a bit of a plan in place and everything's very structured with their nutrition and, you know, their shoes and their training lead up and their taper and all of that. So we just, I guess, try to set them up the best way possible with um, a good training plan and a good nutrition plan and race day plan. And then it's, it's all up to them on the day. That must be pretty satisfying to be part of someone else's journey while you're going on your own training journey as well. Yeah, it is actually. It's really, I, I wasn't sure if I would like coaching, but I decided to give it a try and I've enjoyed it so much more than I, than I thought. It's, it's nice when you see your athletes do well and particularly sometimes it takes a little bit of time until they start uh, seeing improvement because so much of it with long distance running is the consistency and the days on days on days of running and even months and years. So it, it, it sort of happens all of a sudden they start improving a lot. And yeah, I think um, it's, it's really nice as a coach to see people achieving their goals and, and loving the training. And they're so dedicated. Like I, I'm just amazed by how these people that juggle full-time jobs and families and, and they have a goal to run a marathon and they just, yeah, they run every single day, no matter the weather um, it's, it's really very impressing all at all hours of the day. So some of them get up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning to do their run before they start their work as a tradie or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty amazing. I think they're doing it, doing it harder than a lot of the professional athletes, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that actually blends in nicely to the next thing I wanted to know, because your training obviously would be very time consuming because the nature of it is that you're running long distances or is it more just general fitness are you are you running 10 kilometers every day or are you are you mixing it up and how do you get enough hours in the day to do anything else yeah so it's it can be relatively time consuming but it's not as bad as a lot of other sports I would say because I will run once or twice a day every day um, and it varies in distance but I run usually about 150 k's a week so it's yeah it adds up but the biggest thing I think is having the recovery time in between so the time side of it I might just run for an hour in the morning and 40 minutes in the evening or something like that but 
if I've got a big hard session in the morning, then I sort of need to have some time off my legs to recover before my second run or if I have to do a strength session as well, which I usually do a couple of times a week too. So the big thing that I found challenging when I was working full time was just get, not really getting that recovery time through the middle of the day, probably not time to eat properly and all of those things because you're at work on your feet. So that's, that's probably the biggest challenge is yeah, running and working hard whilst you're training and then recovering in between. So a lot of professional athletes will sort of nap during the day and have their feet up, uh, watch a bit of Netflix, do some stretching and foam rolling. And, and that basically is what, what you've got to do. If you want to be the best in the world, you need to almost recover as hard as you train. But yeah, not, not everybody is able to do that. I know next year um, you've got your eyes set on the Olympics, but other than that, what is next for you? Because we don't really know what's happening with races, I'm hoping that if London Marathon goes ahead in October... Um, I can travel over and do that. And then over the Australian summer, there's a 10K race, which is actually our national championships in December called Zadapec. So um, I'll, I'll probably do that if I'm, if I'm able to, if I've recovered from London, if that goes ahead. And then early next year, Australia are hosting the World Cross Country Championships, which is uh, like a 10K men's and women's and junior races in Bathurst. And that's, we don't very often really get uh, home races like that. So that would be really cool. And World Cross Country Champs, it's not very well known, but it's probably because you get the athletes from all distances, from sort of 1500 up to the marathon, it's, it's probably the best standard world championship there is in a lot of ways. And um, yeah, that would, that'll be a really tricky team to make, to make because I think everybody will be going for it, but that's sort of my goal early next year to, to trial for that and, and hopefully race that one at Bathurst in March. I think it is. I think this is our last question. How do you go from being a, you said that as a child, you did a lot of sport and obviously you loved running, but, um, it wasn't your total focus and little apps, you do so much so many other events other than than just the it's like a 3k or something race you do for long distance at little Athens, isn't it it's not yeah very... maybe 1500 even it's pretty <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah pretty short yeah what would you say to someone who isn't a runner and um maybe fit or unfit what would you say to them and how would you suggest that they build up to being able to run a marathon yeah, so I think I think the big thing is getting the consistency there and that that might mean that it like you, a lot of people could decide they want to do a marathon and and train for 6 months and do that um it, to reduce your injury risk I guess the longer your build up is the better. So for me it was years and years of gradually increasing my weekly mileage from you know I was probably running 20k's a week if that when I was at uni to building up to where I am now, which is about 10 times that. But um, it, yeah, I think if you can get the consistency there and that might mean that to start with you run twice a week and then you go to three times a week, four times a week and just, just changing one thing at a time. So either increasing your distance a little bit or your pace or, you know, adding in some hills or some efforts, but you really have to just be careful and, and try and change one thing at a time so that your body can adapt and, get stronger and and the more you do it the easier it gets I know it's horrendous in the first few weeks when people take up running but I promise it gets a lot easier 
Um, but it's just getting that consistency because yeah, nothing, nothing beats that, particularly with longer distances. That's the, the most important thing. Yeah, well, Ellie, thank you so much for coming on today and speaking to us about your sporting journey and about the 10-kilometre and marathon races. We really appreciate it and we wish you the best of luck next year and also when, well, racing starts up again. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much, Ellie. Thanks so much for listening to Halftime Huddle. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out our others and don't forget to subscribe, like and rate us.